Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. What's going on, everybody, and welcome in to Commanding the Huddle. I'm your host, Ryan Fowler. Welcome into week six's recap of Washington's win. 24-16 on the road at Mercedes-Benz Stadium over the Atlanta Falcons. The Washington Commanders are now 3-3. Three and three. They moved the Falcons from 3-2 three and two to 3-3. Three and three. And they are right now, as we sit here on beautiful Monday morning, Victory Monday, they are the only team in the NFC East that has won this week. Obviously with the Eagles losing to the Jets and the Giants losing to the Bills on Sunday Night Football. Of course, Dallas plays the Los Angeles Chargers on Monday Night Football this evening. But as of right now, the NFC East is 1-2 and two in Week 6. And Washington is the lone team with a victory. So that, on top of a win, always feels good to see any combination of the other three teams in the division losing on Sunday. So back to 500 football with a huge matchup next week against the 1-5 Giants at MetLife Stadium. Who up, they went into Buffalo last night and played a, good, played a good ball game, specifically on defense, to where Bobby Okariki at linebacker is just was fantastic for them last night. Now, we're going to get into the Commanders, but already looking towards next week and how that Giants unit played with Daniel Jones out, front five a mess. They played some good ball on the road in Buffalo last night to where it is not easy to try to win a football game. So next week, Washington absolutely has their work cut out for them in a crucial division matchup to potentially get to not only just 4-3 and and above 500, but to 1-1 in the division before hosting the Philadelphia Eagles that next next week. So let's get into today's recap, which is again an 8-point win on the road at the Falcons to where you look at that first half And it looked like Washington was maybe going to run away with that football game up 17-7 after that hookup from Sam Howell to Curtis Samuel. Up 10 points in the second half. They were rolling on offense. In that first half, I really liked what I saw from Eric Bieniemy from a game script perspective. Now, granted, Washington's first series, their first two plays, they got extremely stagnant in the run game. Those Zone reads, Brian Robinson trying to target those one, two, and three holes up the middle. There was nothing there, which forced them into a third and long on their first offensive series. Now, credit to Sam Howell, credit to Curtis Samuel finding the soft spot in the zone, a little curl route over the middle of the field, and they got that hookup to continue to move down the field, which ultimately put them on the board there with that Joey Sly 37-yard field goal to put them up 3-0 early in that ball game. But overall, that first half was really, it was outstanding from Washington offensively. The fourth and one conversion from Eric Bieniemy to allow uh, Sam Howell to take the ball on that zone read, get his legs involved early. The touchdown to Antonio Gibson where they're, they aligned inside the five with that offset eye formation as Antonio Gibson as the up back. They fake it to Brian Robinson. Antonio Gibson leaks out and that's an easy pitch and catch about as easy as it's going to get at the NFL level uh, inside that low red area. I loved it. Eric Bieniemy was again in his bag offensively. We saw it. We didn't see it last week against the Bears. We just flat out did not. 
But we saw it against the Philadelphia Eagles in Philadelphia to where Biennemi just was schematically unique throughout the ball game, both through the run and through the passing game. Now, the run game still has a ways to go for me. I know this offensive line isn't a group of five up front that are going to continually just push people and displace bodies within the front. But without Charles Leno yesterday at left tackle, prayers to him and his family for obviously the tragedy that he's going through. But Cornelius Lucas stepped in and did a fine job at tackle. We know he's one of the top young, really swing tackles in football that can that can do it all. He can play tackle, he can play guard for you in a pinch, and they did a nice job. But Brian Robinson, 10 attempts, 31 yards, about 3.1 yards a pop. Chris Rodriguez was second on the team in carries, which was good to see that. The day three pick from Kentucky gets some get some juice a little bit. He got him going a little bit in that second half. Four carries, 23 yards, about six yards a pop. His longest rush was 13 yards. So he had a little bit of juice uh, in the run game because Antonio Gibson is not involved as a ball carrier. And I know he plays a lot of snaps, but in the receiving game outside of that touchdown, he only had one target, right? One target, one catch, one yard, one touchdown. That was Antonio Gibson's day yesterday. So the run game has got to get going. I want to see them maybe work a little bit more under center, maybe some more offset eye, maybe even some more pistol. Not everything has to be a zone read, especially when Sam Howell is taking it maybe 5% of the time. Guys are allowed on that edge to crash down the line of scrimmage, chasing Brian Robinson from the backside to where he wants to hit that cutback lane. It's not there because you've got that backside defensive end screaming down the line of scrimmage because he's not having to account and stay honest and stay disciplined on that side to where he's having to read Sam Howell and Brian Robinson. No threat of Sam right now escaping out of the backside. That's why I want to see Sam take it just a little bit more. Four carries for three yards yesterday for Sam Howell. I want to see just a little bit more. Maybe that's that ticks up to six or seven carries to where just keeping every level of the defense and every side, weak side, strong side, honest in the run game. I just want to see more evolution from this ground game to where you don't have to ask Sam Howell to drop back 50 plus times like we saw in that Chicago game. So... Sam Howell's day, 14 for 23, 151 yards, three touchdowns. Pretty damn good day, if you ask me. Did not turn the ball over, and he was clean in the passing game. He looked poised. He looked confident. Um, the two plays that obviously you would like back would be the, the incompletion to Jami Brown down the sideline, and of course the beautiful throw to Jahan Dotson um, down the right sideline. Jahan Dotson remains uninvolved. Um, I don't know what's going on there with Jahan. Really him and, and Diami. It's really the Terry McLaurin, Curtis Samuel show right now through the air. And that's fine. It's obviously working when you're winning ball games. But you didn't draft Jahan on day one last year. And the success that he had with Taylor Heineke last year and Carson Wentz to now come into this year where the offense is better and a really talented young kid and a really talented coordinator to really mesh it all together. And he's not involved. One target, no catches yesterday. Deami Brown, one target, no catches. Outside of their opportunities early in that football game, it was really just Eric Bannemi scratching their name off the play call sheet and not giving them any more opportunities. That can't happen. They have to have an impact on this offense. Again, Jahan Dotson and Deami Brown moving forward. They're hell, they're specifically with Jahan, he's a hell of a ball player. Separates as good as anybody in football. Plays bigger than his 5'10 frame. He's excellent. But it can't just be Terry McLaurin. Because that's what it was in the past. And the reason why they drafted Jahan on day one why they drafted Diami on day two, and why they paid Curtis Samuel handsomely to come in from the Carolina Panthers following Ron Rivera. 
Can't just be a one-man show. Now, Terry McLaurin was great. 11 targets. Good to see him over that 10-target plateau again. Six catches, 81 yards. Didn't get in the end zone, but it was excellent. Seeing him consistently being fed the football at every depth. Curl routes, over routes, clearing out routes under the field for Curtis Samuel. Haven't seen the deep shots yet to Terry consistently. Maybe those will come as they continue to get more time under center and Sam gets more and more confidence. But six catches for 81 yards is a damn good day. And I believe he had four or five of those for 40, 50 yards in that first quarter alone. So it's always good to see number 17 involved because he is a lead receiver in this league and he deserves 10 plus targets every single game. And I'm glad that he got it against Atlanta secondary yesterday that was obviously focused on stopping him with D. Alford and A.J. Terrell. We saw Jeff Akuda make some plays and of course Jesse Bates roaming that third level deep at the roof for them yesterday making some plays. They were focused on 17, but he continually gets his no matter who is covering him. Before we get into specific notes of this game, I wanted to talk about a couple standout little notes here and there from the football game. Uh, guys, zero snaps for Emmanuel Forbes. None on defense and none on special teams. So he was flat out benched. He was there as a emergency role yesterday. Um, look, the coaching staff is sending a message. I get it, but they're going to need him moving forward. I thought that Benjamin St. Juiced and Kendall Fuller and Danny Johnson, Percy Butler played 100% of the snaps at the third level. Cam Curl, they were good. Um, obviously, three interceptions from this defense, pretty fantastic, right? I mean, Kendall Fuller, Jamin Davis, and St. Juice all had picks, but you're going to need Emmanuel Forbes um, as they move forward in, in this season to have success on the outside. You cannot miss on a top 20 pick. There's been a lot of conversations with Jamin Davis as a former top 20 pick. He had his ups and downs yesterday, but a massive, massive play. At the end of that game, one-on-one on a quick little um, arrow route from Bijan Robinson over the middle of the field to get that interception. That was a huge play for number 52, for his confidence and for the confidence really of Jack Del Rio to put him in those situations man-on-man against a guy like Bijan Robinson. Heck of a play for number 52, even though that game was not perfect for him. But again, no snaps from Manuel Forbes. We saw seven snaps from Quan Martin. Took him six weeks. Top 50 pick out of Illinois. But it took him six weeks. But seven snaps. We saw him blitz. Cody Barton got that penalty, jumping in the air, hitting Desmond Ritter in the face on that play. That can't happen. Cody Barton yesterday again. I mean, it's frustrating to watch right now. Guys, number 57 struggling a little bit uh, at the second level. Earlier in the, earlier in the season... I thought he was good. I thought he was instinctive, instinctive, excuse me. I thought he was flying around hash to hash. But as we move forward in these last couple weeks, not setting the edge well, it's a lot of tip tap at the second level, trying to get off blocks, kind of staying off of guys, not reading vacant alleys, not exploding through alleys. And back to a guy that I talked about at the top of this episode, this offseason, the multiple conversations with some scouts inside Washington as to who they were targeting free agency. And three names that came up, one was Ben Powers, who he did not come into Washington, obviously went to Denver. But it was Bobby Okariki from the Colts, who's now with the Giants, and it was Cody Barton. And obviously they signed Cody out of all those three, but as I watched Bobby Okariki last night for the Colts, or excuse me, for the Giants, the way he played last night was just 
He looked like damn Lawrence Taylor out there, forcing fumbles and getting interceptions, blowing up guys through the alley in the run game, chasing down quarterbacks. It's just fantastic. And I watched Cody at the middle of this defense to where Washington has got to improve. I mean, they haven't been good at the position for the last really three, four years. Reason why they took Jamin Davis back in 2021 to boost the second level. He's got to be better. I mean, he led the team in tackles yesterday with 14. But I've said it many times before, just because you get tackles does not mean you're a good football player. Tackling machines are everywhere. But you live within the hashes, you're going to have so many opportunities, a guy coming at you, to where you're going to be able to take a guy down, whether it's a solo tackle or an assisted tackle. But in 2023 NFL, where you have to be athletic, you have to be able to cover, you have to be able to read and react to the unique formations and alignments and concepts to what offenses are doing, specifically in setting the edge and blowing up guys before they get their feet going two to three yards downfield, I'm not seeing it a ton consistently from really either Jamin Davis or Cody Barton. More so I've seen it from Jamin, but I haven't seen a lot from Cody Barton recently. And on that same note, I'm really happy that we saw Khalid Hudson yesterday. Now, he only had 10 snaps compared to Barton's 83, which was every single defensive snap. So 100% of the snaps are Cody Barton and 75 for Jamin Davis. But in the 10 snaps that I saw him, whether it was his one of his first snaps of the game, chasing down the backside in the run game, chasing down the toss play, showing off his speed, it's fantastic, and then stuffing at the goal line. I mean, every time he gets an opportunity on the field, he's making plays. And they drafted him to be that athletic mover that rover, if you want, again, he played that jack position at Michigan that, that plays the second and third level. And we finally saw it yesterday. It was great to see a guy that deserves an opportunity. Now, why the hell has it taken six weeks? I understand that Jack Del Rio, not a lot of the time, doesn't want to live in those two linebacker sets at the middle of the field. But when I look at the snap counts, and Cody Barton plays 100% of the snaps, and Jamin Davis is playing 90%, he, he does want to live with two linebackers on the field. So there's an opportunity for Kalik to swap out with Jamin or swap out with Cody and get some snaps. Hell, we saw David Mayo in the red zone yesterday. Did I want to see that? Hell no. But he was there, and it's a linebacker just getting an opportunity, even though... I'd rather just see David Mayo on special teams and as a smiling face in the locker room. But Kalik Hudson deserves more snaps. And it's something that we've said since Washington took him on day three out of Michigan a few years ago. He deserves more of an opportunity. So those are really the outstanding things for me. Really, Emmanuel Forbes getting zero snaps. Quan Martin got some work and Kalik Hudson got some work. And I thought the secondary did a nice job. Cam Curl is an extremely unique player. The ability to take down Bijan Robinson one-on-one in space and then cover a 6-6 Kyle Pitts in space. Guys, there's just not a lot of people that can do that in football at whatever depth and whatever coverage, whether you're running man or zone. It's it's not easy to do. And he, I know he wants his money. He wants to be probably paid like a top five or six safety in football. We will see if he gets that money. Washington's got to obviously think about who they're going to pay with Chase Young or Montez Sweat, a defensive line yesterday that was okay. Uh, In my opinion, they weren't dominant. They were okay yesterday. They were just okay. So 
Let's get into this football game. I want to start from, obviously, kickoff and go all the way back to the end parts of that fourth quarter to where Atlanta was driving to potentially get in the end zone and, and attempt a two-point conversion to tie that ball game. Obviously, it did not happen. And obviously, Washington won. It was never in doubt. I know you guys probably were on the edge of your seat again every week. That's what it is in Washington. But I always talk about it here, never in doubt. Always stay confident, no matter what happens. 24-16 win. It's ugly, but it's a win. doesn't always have to be pretty. A win is a flat-out damn win. Uh, early in that first quarter, the uh, first completion to Kyle Pitts on third and eight, uh, that first offensive series for the Falcons, we talked about it in the pregame podcast, getting over or getting after, excuse me, Desmond Ritter, sending four on third and eight, and it was an easy pitch and catch. Uh, it was really twice in the drive that Atlanta got to third down and Washington sent four, not five, not six. The pressure wasn't there earlier in that football game. Atlanta did some unique things. You saw that first play, brought in a big boy offensive lineman as an eligible guy to, to provide some almost a jumbo look uh, on offense. They ran a lot of 21 personnel, so a lot of Bijan Robinson, Tyler Algier as two running backs with Kyle Pitts as the lone tight end on the field yesterday. We didn't see a lot of Jonu Smith as far as his activation through the air. Not a lot of Michael, Michael Pruitt as well. Um, but yeah, that, that we did not see a lot of pressure early in that game. And I liked what Atlanta was doing offensively to where they were condensing their receivers near the line of scrimmage and getting in trips. And they're all bunched up and it's hard to communicate for Fuller, St. Juice, Danny Johnson, whoever was out there as to guys breaking in, guys pressing vertical, guys coming back to the quarterback, or is going inside. When you're aligned outside in trips and you're so tight like that and condensed to the line of scrimmage to where you have open space over the middle of the field and towards the sideline, it makes it extremely tough for secondaries to communicate as to who has who if who if someone breaks here and you're expecting them to break there, who's rushing the quarterback. Who's dropping here if we're in zone? It's extremely tough to defend those types of alignments. And Arizona did that extremely well early in that ballgame. Again, on their first two third down conversions to where Washington just sent four and said, Desmond Ritter, beat us with your arm. And he did. So that was a big standout early in that first half. Jamison Crowder, holy hell. It really turned that football game. Again, Jamison Crowder's his massive punt return in that ballgame just flipped the momentum. We've talked about special teams and Washington trying to find an answer of a field flipper for so long. They tried Alex Erickson last year. They've tried Antonio Gibson. Flat out has not worked. We talked about Kaz Allen, a UDFA from UCLA that remains on the practice squad. Was he going to be that guy? He hasn't. Who knew all along that was going to be our old friend, Jamison Crowder, who's been gone for a handful of years now. And then comes back and has been really good for the first few games he's been in the Burgundy and Gold. It's really good to see him back there. He's not the same type of athlete that he was coming out of Duke to where he could just take it the distance at any touch. But to flip the field like that and to get Washington in a spot to score on that drive, it just flipped the momentum of the football game. And special teams are so important. They go overlooked every single week. And really every year for teams to where how do we lose or how do we win this football game? And if you have a guy that's a veteran like Crowder is to where you know he's going to be sure-handed, knock on wood, with the ball. and But he can also get you 20, 30, 40 extra yards 
and he could break it here or there. And what I love about Jamison Crowder is he doesn't waste time east to west. You guys remember Antoine Randall-L. All he would do is go east-west. I mean, he had a lot of success as a returner, but he would go east-west a lot. The best returners in football, you look at Devin Hester, you look at Josh Cribbs, you look at Ted Ginn, Reggie Bush, all the historic, Brian Mitchell, all the historic returners, they would get the ball, Dante Hall from the Chiefs, I know you guys remember him, immediately go north-south. North-south and then make your way east-west around guys. But get those initial 5 to 10 yards and get your feet up to speed, not east to west to where you're limiting the field that you have. When you go north-south, you have everything around you. But when you go east-west, you're limiting the space that you have to work with. At the NFL, where everybody can run, it's hard to consistently outrun guys, whether you run a 4-4 or you're a 4-2 runner. It doesn't matter. Jamison Crowder right now, he's probably a high 4-4-4-5 runner at this point in his career. But the quick twitch, the explosiveness, the foot quickness, the vision, the agility to make guys miss in space, it was a massive, massive play at that point in the ball game to get Washington's momentum going, to get the ball to the offense and get some points on that drive. As we crept towards the end of that first half, something that kind of ticked me off a little bit was, I hate when defenses get soft and kind of allow points or give up points late in those opportunities to where you don't want them to score touchdowns, but you also, you know, you don't want to give up the big play. But Jack Del Rio got extremely soft as they moved back late um, in that second quarter, giving up 11 on that fourth and 24 after the false start penalty. And eventually, Young Way Koo makes that 47-yard field goal. So on third and 24, you give up 11, which makes it, it, it took it from a 58-yarder if you didn't, didn't give up a yard, you get up 11 to now 47-yarder. Even if they gave up three or four, that's now a 53 or 54-yard field goal. We saw that in the Eagles game. I don't like giving up a ton of yards in those situations. Now, I'm not going to ask them to be perfect, but at that point in time to where you don't want them to score late in the half to where they got the ball the first drive of the second half, to where, again, that's momentum. You don't want them to have the momentum going into the half at home to where they're still in the ball game because at that point in time, when he hit that 47-yarder, it was 17-10 at the half. But third and 24, don't give up yards. Maybe send a little pressure. You can play man on the outside. You don't have to play press. You don't have to play cover zero if you send blitz. If you send a blitz, you don't have to do that. You can still play five to seven yards off, and but send five or six to where he maybe throws it and forces an interception or an incompletion to where, again, you'd force a 58-yard field goal instead of a 47-yarder. So little things to work on to where you don't have to give up points there, and you'd go into the half at 17-7 instead of 17-10. As we move back into now the second half, um, I loved Benjamin St. Juice's willingness to play inside the contact window yesterday using his length and his power uh, against Drake London. But I didn't understand the technical portion of his willingness on the outside where he consistently was pressing, but he was pressing the outside shoulder. And I understand if he was forcing him to the inside, having outside leverage on that, forcing him, again, back to the inside. But on the short third third down situations to where Washington would occasionally send five, 
All they want to do is run quick timing routes on the perimeter to where Drake is moving on a quick little slant, putting that outside foot in the ground, turning, and the ball's on his hands. He had nine catches on 12 targets for 125 yards yesterday. 32 yards was his biggest catch. Was it a catch down the sideline? Was it not? That's up for debate still. Who knows what a catch is actually in this league? Who the hell knows? Nobody knows at the, at the end of the day. We're in 2023. We don't know what catch is and what's not. But he had a hell of a day yesterday. But a lot of it was on those quick hitters and timing routes over the middle of the field. And I wanted to see Benjamin at times force him to the boundary, force him to the sideline, not consistently press him inside the contact window, but hitting that outside shoulder. Hit him in the chest plate in the middle of his chest or that inside shoulder to where you can disrupt timing and then play with him on your hip pocket or if you have to, play with your back to the football and know that you have safety help in the box that Cam Curl was yesterday because they bracketed him at times over the middle of the field on those short third down situations to where they forced Desmond Ritter to get the ball out of his hands quick. I liked that. So that's just a little bit of a technical thing with Benjamin St. Juice yesterday to where the pressing not always has to be on the outside shoulder yesterday. Maybe that's something that they focused on. Who knows? But like to see a little bit more hands inside shoulder forcing him to the outside, for rerouting him, and just continuing to disrupt timing uh, on those short routes. The Fuller pick, uh, I loved it. Why? Because Kendall Fuller's had a hell of a year, and they also sent six on that play. They blitzed six, and, and Kendall Fuller really ran the route uh, on that play and just was a easy pitch and catch from Ritter to Kendall Fuller. I loved it. It's crazy how blitzes work. It's crazy how pressure works against young quarterbacks. And they saw it yesterday. Three interceptions for this defense. We talked about turnover margin. They won it yesterday. It's great to see. And I'm happy for Kendall Fuller, St. Juice, and Jamin Davis, all those guys getting interceptions yesterday. Um, the Brian Robinson screen touchdown pass. I know you guys remember last year where he ran over the Falcon secondary defender uh, at FedEx Field in that mushy, sloppy rain game uh, when Washington hosted again Atlanta last year. He did it again. I believe it was Richie Grant uh, blowing him up in the end zone at that two or three yard line, wherever it was, where he made contact with him. But just a beautiful screen play um, from Eric Bieniemy called on that on that play. I love Sadiq Charles. He got hit on his ass, then gets up and is going trucking people downfield. And Brian Robinson just coming down the tracks at 225 pounds. Good luck stopping him at the two-yard line. He played through the chest of that Falcon secondary defender, just blowing him into the end zone uh, for a touchdown. He remains heavily involved in the passing game. I love to see it. He wasn't involved at all in his first season out of Alabama last year. He's got over 100 yards through the air through really the first month and a half of the season this year. Just his workload continues to improve. He does not put the ball on the ground. He's got smooth hands in space. Once he gets those legs churning, he's got some sneaky juice to him. And he can run right through defenders that are, you know, 205 pounds and also guys that are sub sub 190 on the perimeter as these corners. Uh, even though we're going to see next week against the Giants, a guy like Cordell Flott that's built a lot like Emmanuel Forbes at about 175 pounds. They took him uh, on day two out of LSU just a few years ago. So that Brian Robinson against that screen pass was just fantastic. They didn't waste any time. Two plays after that fuller interception, they get in the end zone. Love to see it. We've seen years in the past where they'd get a turnover or get a big play, and it was four or five plays. We're just going to settle for a 35-yard field goal. Hell no. The enemy doesn't want to waste time. Get his ass in the end zone and get it there in a violent way with Brian Robinson just bowling over the Falcons defender. I love to see it. 
not wasting time, not settling for three, getting six and putting your team up at that point, 24 to 10 early um, in that third quarter. So as we move forward late in that in that quarter, um, I loved how excellent and stout Washington's defense was on the edge yesterday. It's something that we've talked a lot about at the linebacking position and at defensive end and really at corner, the willingness right to get off a wide receiver's block and make a play in the perimeter. They were really good. Um, Bijan Robinson had to live within the tackles yesterday. He and Tyler Algier, we talked about in the pregame podcast, right? They're going to split time. That's exactly what they did yesterday. 13 carries for both Algier and Bijan. But Bijan, 37 yards, 2.8 a pop. Pretty damn good. Tyler Algier, 51 yards and about 3.9 a pop. Pretty damn good. Heck of a job for that front seven in the running game yesterday, holstering those two to where, look, 26 carries split between both of them. They want to get the ground game going. That's where they hang their hat. You want to force Desmond Ritter to beat you. That's how you beat the Atlanta Falcons, forcing him, him to beat you with it between his ears and then with his arm. And you get, you get the interceptions. You win the turnover margin and you ultimately win that darn football game. So that was really nice to see, again, in the edges uh, of Washington's defense yesterday. The third and six penalty on Danny Johnson against Kyle Pitts irked me a little bit. Why? Because you drafted Quan Martin for a reason. You drafted him to match up against those bigger, more athletic defenders that are reduced inside, those flex weapons that want to flex out. Now, granted, not many guys one-on-one, again, that can cover Kyle Pitts isolated, but you drafted, right, Quan Martin to be there in those situations. And you get a penalty in that massive situation in the second half. Where is Quan Martin? At that time, where is number 20? I wanted to see him on the field in that potential opportunity to go, look, one-on-one against Kyle Pitts, welcome to the NFL. But Danny Johnson, I like Danny. You guys know that. I, I love me some Danny Johnson. Guy that just wears, brings his lunch pail to work and his hard hat and shows up and doesn't complain. Doesn't matter if he's playing corner. Guy could line up a damn wide receiver and, and he wouldn't say a word. But you drafted Quan Martin for reasons like that, for situations like that. I want to see him potentially earn more opportunities in those crucial downs against those types of flex weapons because that's what you drafted him to be as a top 50 pick um, out of Illinois. The fourth and four conversion for Atlanta uh, late in that ball game, I liked that Jack Del Rio sent pressure. However, when you're running cover zero, why was Cam Curl 10 yards off the ball? Because that's as easy pitch and catch as you can get. And for Desmond Ritter's perspective, this isn't the first time that he saw cover zero. Remember, he's an uber successful quarterback at Cincinnati, led the Bearcats to the CFP a couple years ago as the first non-Power 5 program to do so. But in that situation, why are we 10 yards off the football? I just, I didn't understand that at that point in time. You're going to run cover zero, you know the ball's coming out quick. Play in his face. Or at least I would have asked Cam Curl to do that because he can. I believe it was Kyle Pitts that caught that ball on fourth and four. I like Cam Curl against Kyle Pitts. I like that matchup. Because I know that Cam Curl is excellent coverage. He can read the quarterback's eyes. And he's really good in the contact window. Using his hands. Out leveraging guys. Forcing them to separate. But 10 yards off and cover zero in fourth and four. That's just an easy pitch and catch. For any quarterback in football. And that was for them at that point in time. 
As we get to the later portions of this ball game, I know you guys may have some questions about Eric Bieniemy with the play calling on those last what, two or three drives. There was no first downs. It's a hard balance there of churning clock, but also being aggressive. I know that Bieniemy is more on the aggressive side, which I'd like, and we wouldn't be complaining if a couple of those plays to Terry McLaurin or Logan Thomas or Sam Howell is able to make a play with his legs in that opportunity. We're not going to be complaining, right? Because that ball game, Arizona's driving down to potentially tie that ball game. But it's a hard balance there because your run game is not going. Consistent zone reads really wasn't doing anything, really in that second half especially. You're trying to churn clock, but you're also wanting to say, hey, let's surprise them here. I got 17 on a one-on-one matchup that I like. Let's try to hit them here. He doesn't get it. Well, now the clock is stopped and it's now third and 10. We're obviously going to run the ball to turn some clock here. I know there's some conversations to had to be had about that, but overall, I look at what Biennemi did in this football game, getting the ball out of Sam Howell's hands quickly, not asking him to complete 25-plus passes and drop back 50-plus times to ha- still have three touchdowns. I mean, again, the guy had 15 completions, excuse me, 14 completions on the day and three of them for touchdowns. 119.7 quarterback rating, if you're into that thing. Pretty damn good day. Just easy. Playing game manager, if you want. Now, Sam Howell has got to work on getting the ball out of his hands. The sacks yesterday, Atlanta had five. They entered the game with five. So they had one a week heading into this game. They had five yesterday. But a lot of those, I'll say at least four of them, were on Sam Howell. He has got to work on getting the ball out of his hand. The pocket awareness will only improve as he gets more time under center, but that has to improve moving forward against these better defenses that they'll face. I mean, again, look, we have not faced Dallas yet. We got to play Philly in two weeks. The Giants can get after the quarterback. You're still going to play Miami. You're still going to play San Fran. They can get after the quarterback, guys. We know that. All those teams can. So getting the ball out of his hands quickly, I saw it in the first half, but five sacks... I mean, every single week, he's still on pace to be the most sacked quarterback in a season all time. Not good. But yesterday, those sacks, in my opinion, were a majority all on Sam Howell inside the pocket because I thought that that front five did a pretty damn good job against a front from Atlanta that has some bodies. Calais Campbell's a veteran. Grady Jarrett's a good defensive tackle in this league. Arnold Debicati, they got some juice, guys. Uh, within their front seven, but five sacks and most on Sam Howell got to get the ball out of his hands. The pocket awareness, the internal clock has got to speed up a little bit more. And when he finds those alleys inside the pocket, when things are breaking down, consistently wants to run to his right and sometimes running to his left looks vacant. I know he likes to run to his arm side, maybe escape into the left sometimes or up the middle. Everything will improve as he gets more time under center, but that's a big little knock on Sam Howell moving forward. He's got to get the ball out of his hands. So now the later portions of this ball game, again, the Jamin Davis interception really to seal that football game uh, was great to see. I, I loved it. Um, it was, look, it's never easy, guys. I said it earlier, uh, but just a hell of a play uh, on, on that drive uh, to end the game and uh, a well-deserved opportunity for Jamin Davis to make a play. Doesn't hit off his chest plate and fall to the ground. And then you say, ah, what could have been? Gets the interception. Really runs the route for Bijan Robinson there. Just a heck of a play for a young player that deserves some good attention right around him. Because there's been a lot of stuff surrounding Jamin Davis since he entered the league as a first rounder out of Kentucky back in 2021. Good for him to seal that football game and to move now 
to three and three and preparing to go on the road again to MetLife to face the now one and five New York Giants. So guys, that's going to do it for today's podcast. Hope you guys enjoyed a cool stat from yesterday, which I loved was that Washington gave Desmond Ritter his first home loss ever in his career. So since high school, Desmond Ritter hasn't lost at home. No losses at home in Cincinnati and no losses at home since he's been the Falcon starter at Mercedes-Benz. Pretty cool, right? And that was Atlanta's first loss at home as a whole this entire year, obviously, right? They're 3-0 entering the week. Now they're 3-1. That's a good feeling. So hope you guys enjoyed. Always appreciate your reviews, your likes, your shares, your subscribes. I'm on Twitter. If you don't follow me there already at underscore Ryan Fowler. My written work is housed at Bleacher Report. Have an episode out for you guys on Friday to preview the New York Giants, our first taste of the Brian Dayball-led New York Giants, a team that's struggling this year, but they got some talent on either side of the ball. We will get into their offense, defense, and special teams in a way that Washington can go on the road, win that football game, make it two straight wins, and get to 1-1 one one in the division. More importantly, get to potentially 4-3. and three. So again, as always, appreciate your guys' time. I'll talk to you on Friday. I'm Ryan Fowler, and this is Commanding the Huddle. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun? Yeah, you get it every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.